Howdy, Pastor Mark Driscoll here. Really excited to help you learn God's Word here at Mark Driscoll Ministries. We like to help people learn God's Word and we like to help leaders teach God's Word. And we've got a lot of new resources for you, all free, through the great book of 1 John in a series titled, The Father Heart of God. John was Jesus' nearest and dearest, closest and most faithful, best friend, and as an elderly man, the last living disciple of Jesus, he writes this amazing letter, and in his words, we hear the Father heart of God. I had the opportunity to teach this book in 13 weeks as a Bible study for the core launch team of the Trinity Church that I'm having the honor of planting in Scottsdale, Arizona, and I wanted you to learn God's Word, and so we've also provided for you about a 20,000 word study guide. This will help you study it personally with your family and or a small group. And for those of you who really like to go deep, we've got a free 240,000 word research brief that was put together by a team of scholars and professors and we'll give it all to you for free at markdriscoll.org. Go ahead and sign up and any gift that you give will help us to give more Bible teaching away. Thanks for the help. Father God, thank you so much for an opportunity to teach the scriptures today to some wonderful people that, that I love and I have the great honor and joy of opening the scriptures with and for today. Holy Spirit, help me to be a real teacher and not a false teacher. Help us to discern real teaching from false teaching. And for that to happen, we're going to open your word. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would also open our hearts and our minds so that we could know, love, serve, and follow Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, today we're in 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6 on test the spirits, and that's what the scriptures say. Let me start with a story. Have you ever been so frustrated you couldn't even say a word, so you just made a sound? You ever been that frustrated? Uh, ah! Like that? Um, I, I once, not once, many times I've made that sound, but one particular time I made that sound, uh, Grace and I, that's my wife, we were, I think it was in New York, we we're trying to remember where this happened, and uh, I, she thinks it might have been the time we were out there, we're doing an interview on The View with Barbara Walters and Whoopi Goldberg, and uh, that wasn't the part that made me say, ah, though that would have been appropriate. Just prior to that, we were sitting in our hotel room, and I was, you know, flipping through the channels, waiting for Grace to get ready, because... She takes time and looks beautiful. I don't look beautiful and doesn't take that much time. So I have time to kill. So I'm waiting for her and I'm flipping through the channels and I hear the name of a friend of mine, somebody I know, love, respect, really hold in high regard has been a great blessing to my life. I won't name drop, but they are a significant evangelical Christian leader. And I heard their name mentioned, so I stopped. And then this person who claimed to be a Christian on this kind of Christian channel was talking about how they are leading people astray. They're part of the end times deception, all these spooky Scooby-Doo words, and, uh, and, then, and then they were talking about how this person had been working covertly with Muslims and other religions and was creating a new religion and was leading people astray and, and, and all of this stuff. And I remember sitting there thinking, I know who they're talking about. Like I've had meals with them, I've taught with them, I love them, I know them, I, I hold them in high regard. And I'd heard this crazy rumor about them. So I even asked them about it. And they're like, oh, this is so frustrating. I've reputed, re refuted this many times. And in addition, you know, it's public, but they keep saying this thing that's just not true. And I remember sitting there just going, ah. So Grace walks in, what happened? Look what they're saying about this guy. She's like, that's not true. I was like, I know that's not true. I'm thinking, gosh, this is so frustrating. And then if memory serves me correct, this person on the television quoted our text today. 1 John 4, just sort of 
Well, we need to test the spirits because there are false prophets in the world and they're leading people astray. Quotes 1 John. And then proceeds to lie about another human being who loves and serves Jesus. And I thought, man, you can't quote the scriptures and then completely defy them. And I thought, boy, this will really confuse people because they're confident, they're quoting the scriptures, and they're speaking on behalf of someone else, but they're not telling the truth. So here's what we're going to do today, and this is incredibly important. There are true teachers and false teachers. There are true prophets and false prophets. There are true apostles and false apostles. There is true Christianity and there is counterfeit Christianity, and these things are very important. But as we get into 1 John 4, 1 through 6 today, and that is our theme, Two things I need you to know. Number one, we need to watch out for false prophets. Number two, we also need to be careful that we don't falsely accuse God's people of being false prophets because when we do that, then we're the false prophet. Amen? You need to be careful both ways. And what I want to do is your pastor, I want to love you, I want to serve you, I want to give you some biblical insight and instruction to help you be discerning, but I don't want you to take on the posture of a critic or to be operating or living out of fear and unnecessarily critical of other Christians. I don't know if you know this, the cultural tide has turned against us. We're the minority, not the majority. Our approval ratings are down, not up. And when Christians fight with Christians in front of non-Christians, everybody loses, nobody wins. But there is a line between that which is Christian and non-Christian, and it's very important to understand that. So let's begin in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. Uh, here's how he tells us to test the spirits. Beloved, that's where we begin. God loves you. He's your father. You're part of his family. He cares for you. He is giving you instruction and correction and direction. God doesn't want you to be primarily dominated by fear, He wants you to be dominated, influenced by his love for you, but he also wants you to be understanding and discerning. In the same way, if you raise kids, you're getting them ready to go live in the world, you want them to not be naive, gullible kids who get into trouble and trust everybody unnecessarily. You want them to be discerning kids who know right from wrong and keep themselves from trouble and harm. And that's the father heart of God. You're his beloved. Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Now, this may, this, may, this may be a question that you've never really considered. Let me ask you this. If you are a Christian or confess to be a Christian, what are the odds that in your lifetime you will be led astray? What are the odds? And for all of us, we have to say there's a percentage, correct? How many of you are in the 1% to 2%, 10%, 50%, 80%? How many of you, knowing your discernment, your maturity, your love for the Lord, your understanding of the Scriptures, your awareness— you say, I, I don't think it's going to be likely that I'll get led astray. How many of you say, well, if that's possible, I think I'm a good candidate to be led astray, and that's a little concerning. We each need to be honest about our own proclivities and propensities and to ask, gosh, what are the odds that I could be led astray? False teaching, false doctrine, some sort of cult, false movement, another religion that I could get going in the wrong direction. What's the percentage of opportunity for you? the first thing he wants us to know is that we need to test the spirits to see whether they are from God and not to believe every spirit because not every spirit is from God. For some of you who are non-Christians or you're new Christians, this, this might absolutely shock you, but information is spiritual. See, we live in a world where the amount of information is more than doubling every two years. There is a tremendous amount of information We tend to think of information as neutral. It's not, it's spiritual. Some of it is true, 
Some of it is lies. Some of it corresponds with reality. Some of it flatly flies in the face of reality. Some of it honors and glorifies God. Some of it dishonors God. That according to the God of the Bible, information is not neutral, it's spiritual. Do you get that? And what he's saying is behind information and those who are proliferating and instructing, there is a spiritual influence. I don't know if you know this. He's saying that, that from some people and the information that they are promoting, motivating that, inspiring that, generating that is the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, and, and, and coming forth is truth that glorifies God and corresponds with reality. Conversely, there is other information that is coming through other instructors and teachers and cultural leaders. And it's not motivated and inspired and directed by God, the Holy Spirit, but by some other spirit, an unclean, unholy, unhelpful spirit. This is John's way of speaking of that which is demonic. That which is demonic. Sometimes when we think of the demonic, we think of some crazy horror film and people's heads spinning around on their neck and little children speaking with the you know, the voice of James Earl Jones. And sometimes that which is demonic is just a lie that is inspired, motivated, informed, empowered by a demonic power working through a person so that that untruth, that lie becomes believable and then it gains cultural traction. That's what he's saying. So here's what you need to know. Every thought you have, every book you read, every article you click on, every social media post that you ponder, every conversation that you have, every sermon you hear, every class you take, it's spiritual. And you can't just ingest it all in and consider it to be potentially true. You need to be discerning and not just look at the information, but also the person and the spiritual force at work behind the information and the person and to test the spirits and ask, is this from God or against God? Is this truth or lies? Is this light or darkness? Where does this come from? What is this going for? Who is this motivated by? Very important. Now, let me say this for you parents. We got a lot of kids. Lord willing, we'll have a ton of kids in this church and we love kids. Part of this is teaching your kids to not be naive, but innocent. What this means is you can't shelter and shield your children from all information. There is some that we should and must keep them from until it's age appropriate to then inform them. What happens with children that are naive is they don't know the difference between right and wrong. They don't know the difference between, you know, truth and lies, they don't know the difference between safety and danger, and they find themselves in harm's way without even seeing it coming. An innocent child is raised as a discerning child to ascertain that which is true and false, that which comes from the Holy Spirit, that which comes from an unclean spirit, and that child grows up to be innocent but not naive. That means they know good and evil and they can discern and ascertain between the two. What God is trying to do here for us as his beloved, as his kids, he's trying to get us to be discerning. He's trying to get us to be understanding. He's trying to open our eyes to understand the way that the world works from his perspective so that we can distinguish and discern. And let me say that the key to understanding the truth is humility. And the key to being susceptible to the lies is pride. That humility is willing to receive instruction, correction, truth. Pride tends to be motivated primarily by the demonic. The heart of the demonic is pride. You need to know that. 
We might call it self-esteem, and all that is is a PR firm picked up the demonic spirit of pride and rebranded it so that we would buy it. And this issue of self-esteem and pride is such that I'm very smart. I'm very enlightened. I have new ideas that are better than the old ideas. I have a progressive way of thinking, not that repressive way of thinking. I am someone who is advanced and evolved, not like those primitive people used to think and act. We've moved beyond that. And sort of this cultural snootiness comes for anyone who holds to an ancient book like the scriptures or ancient beliefs like God's word. And if you're a proud person, you say, well, I, I want to be progressive, not regressive. I want to be, you know, moving forward into the future, not shackled by the past. And the result is that a pride kicks in. And those who are always trying to reinvent Christianity with new doctrines and new trends and new beliefs and new instruction, really under that is oftentimes a motivation of pride. And so if you really want to be someone who tests the spirits, first you've got to test your own heart and say, am I, am I Am I humble enough to receive the truth or am I so proud that I think that I know better than God? And in that way, we need to test, we need to discern, we need to ascertain. Um, my first job, I worked uh, as, at a 7-Eleven as a clerk. I lied about my age, I wasn't a Christian. I falsified my birth certificate, it was wrong. Don't do that, that's not the point of the sermon. But anyways, <laughs> the first thing they told me, because we lived in a very poor neighborhood, and, and I was trying to make enough money to pay for my 1956 Chevy, and I was 15 years of age. The first thing they told me was, uh, hey, just because somebody hands you a bill, don't put it in the till. Make sure you check it, because we lived in this poor neighborhood. And they wanted to let me know that there was a lot of counterfeit money and, and a lot of things that were happening that were not necessarily above reproach. The first thing they told me at the till was, just because they hand you a bill doesn't mean it's authentic. You've got to determine what a counterfeit is. So they gave me a little test on how to test whether money is true or false. And over time, as you handle bills, you realize, okay, I'm starting to just sort of become familiar with that which is authentic. And then when somebody slips you something that is fake, you can discern that it's a fake. And on a few occasions, I actually had somebody flip me or hand me a false bill, right, a counterfeit. One of them was really bad. Drunk guy did it on a Xerox machine. Anyways. Um, that one was easy, even I got that. But my employer would have been really upset if I accepted that and put it in the till because then that would continue to happen and there would be real problems. So it is with Christianity. There is that which is real and from God, there is that which is counterfeit from Satan and demons. And we are to be discerning, test the spirits, not just receive everything that is handed to us, even information thinking that it's neutral when it's in fact spiritual. And then we need to ascertain and determine, okay, is this real or a counterfeit? I need to test it. So let me say a few things about testing. Um, here are my expectations for you. And if you're gonna to go to the Trinity Church, my job is to lead and feed, and I wanna put my expectations out front and center. What we're talking about here is how we relate to other people, other spiritual leaders, other pastors, denominations, traditions, and those who confess to be Christian. Number one, people who say they're Christian are innocent till proven guilty. Okay, if there's other pastors, leaders, preachers, teachers, authors, they say they're Christians, they're innocent till proven guilty. We're not gonna be that church that's always got the gun loaded, waiting for the heretic, you know, and playing some zombie apocalypse video game where we're just ready to pull the trigger and see what happens. We're not those people. You're innocent till proven guilty. Number two, um, 
don't take the posture of a critic. Sometimes people will take this verse and they'll immediately assume the posture of a critic. Everybody's wrong, I'm right, I sit on a throne, I judge, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, I'm right. Don't take the posture of a critic. The point of this is not to be a critic, but to be a Christian. The point of this is not to discourage others, but to be discerning of your own self. Number three, do research on someone's current belief, okay? If you're listening to a teacher and you think maybe they're teaching something that's untrue, podcast, sermon, me, book, blog, whatever the case may be, do research on their, do real research. And let me say this, just because it's on the internet doesn't mean it's true. Help me get that out, okay? People need to know this. Not everything on the internet is true. That's not real research. In addition, do real research on what they currently believe, not what they used to believe. Because true or false, we grow and change our mind and learn. True? I had somebody come to me recently, Mark, I don't agree with everything you've ever said. I totally agree with that. I don't agree with everything I've ever said. You learn and grow and change your mind over time and people have the right to grow and to learn. Uh, this hit me some years ago. I was part of a, a group, again, I won't name drop or get into specifics, but they were considered to be, you know, Bible-believing, evangelical, Jesus-loving people. And I started teaching with them and we're having dinner and I was like, what the heck? They didn't believe the Bible was God's perfect word. They didn't believe that Jesus was fully God and fully man. Some of the leaders didn't believe that he died in our place for our sins on the cross. And a bunch of them didn't believe in hell. And they were teaching at a lot of conferences and events and everybody was giving them thumbs up because what they used to believe was good, but what they did believe at that time was bad. They'd moved from being in the light to being in the darkness, from being in the truth to being in the lies. Do research real research on their current beliefs and they'd moved to a bad place. Conversely, many years later, I was part of an event. I've had a great sort of weird life, but I was part of this event with this person who was a well-known international leader and they held a belief that was wrong about God, okay? Without getting into details. And so they'd been criticized for it. And, and I had the honor of sitting down with this person over the course of two days, eating meals, private conversations, off record, getting to know them. I found out they were nothing like I was told they were. They're actually very kind and nice and loving and humble and actually felt convicted because they're a lot more humble than me. And as we were talking, I said, well, do you believe this? I was told, he said, well, yeah, I used to. That's how I was trained and instructed growing up. But over the years studying the Bible, I've had a real change of heart and mind is basically what he said. And now I don't hold this position. I hold this other position that is biblical, that is Christian, that is Orthodox. And I've changed my mind. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. I've told people that. I said, well, how, how is this going for you? He said, it's really difficult. He said, because the, the false group I used to be a part of, now that I've changed my mind, they've rejected me and criticized me because I no longer affirm them. And the people that I now agree with have rejected me because of what I used to believe. So everybody rejects me. I thought, well, that's unfortunate that, that you could go from wrong to right and be rejected by both because of what you used to believe and what you do believe. So we wanna do real research on what people currently believe. And we leave an opportunity for God to change people's minds and to bring them to fuller understanding. Um, the last thing I would say is, before you test the spirits, test your own heart. Before you test the instruction and teaching of others, test your own heart. Do I love them? Do I pray for them? Do I care for them? Do I want good for them? Am I willing to learn from them? Is there anything in me that is ungodly, unkind, unloving, unreasonable? 
Is there anything in me that's motivated by pride? If I can find where they're wrong, it shows how smart I am. We live in a day when it has become sport for some to be critical of others. And at this church, we want to be discerning, but we want to be humble. We want to be loving. We want to be godly. We want to believe the best. We want to hope the best. And before we test anyone else, we want to test ourselves. Amen? Now, here are some promises that I'll make to you on this point of testing the spirits. Um, Number one, I will hang out with people that will cause you confusion. I promise you that. Here's why. Um, I don't believe in something called two degrees of separation. Now, this, this is a Bible study. We're getting ready to launch a church. This is a bit of an odd sermon. I'm a bit of an odd guy. We're in an odd building. Guess what you are. Okay, so good to have you all, okay? But there is something called two degrees of separation. If you come from fundamentalism or highly conservative Christianity, there's actually a doctrine of two degrees of separation. And that is, I can't be friends with somebody that I disagree with, but if they're friends with somebody I disagree with, I have to reject that person as well so that I have two degrees of separation. I don't believe that because here's what I believe. I believe you can make a point or you can make a difference. And if you want to make a point, you just separate yourself from everybody who's wrong and you write books and blogs and do social media and God's given me to some degree of platform. And at points I've used it wrongly, I've been critical, I've said and done things that I regret as a younger man that I hope as an older man to mature from and grow in and set an example in. But you can make a, you can make a point, making a point is easy. They're wrong, let me criticize that, let me tell you this, let me say that. Or you can make a difference. To make a difference, you need to get to know somebody and you need to love them so that you can speak with them. I will speak in places and have relationships with people that will cause some of you to scratch your head. And here's why. I love them, I wanna help. Not only do I have things to teach, I have things to learn as well. So I don't assume that I'm going into a situation as you know, Jesus 2.0, nothing to learn, here to help. I want to go into every situation and relationship with different groups, tribes, teams, conferences. What can I learn? How can I help? I don't want to just make a point by criticizing you. I want to make a difference by loving you. Some years ago, I'll give you one experience again. I won't name drop, but I got invited to go to this conference from this group that let's just say they weren't super Bible people, like like not a lot of Bible. And they were really starting to drift in a direction that... They needed to test the spirits. So the head of this group called me up and said, would you come teach? I said, well, you know, we disagree on some things, but why do you want me to come? He said, well, we're not the Bible guys. You're kind of a Bible guy. There's some stuff I'm really worried about. The younger leaders are getting crazy on some doctrines and they're starting to walk away from faithful Christianity. So I want to bring you in to teach the Bible. I want you to have a private lunch with some of these big church pastors that are young guys that are a little crazy. And I want you to be their friends and help them study the Bible. Should I go? Yeah, okay, so I went. A lot of criticism. What is he doing hanging out with the not Bible guys? Studying the Bible. Somebody needs to. We all agree on that. Okay, so this, this two degrees of separation assumes that if I'm spending time with you, it's because I endorse you. Well, Jesus didn't endorse all the people he hung out with. He drew near to them to love them, to instruct them, to help them. 
See, because fear is defensive, it causes us to withdraw. Love is offensive, it causes us to move toward people in an effort to love and serve them. So as your pastor, I love teaching the Bible and I wanna make a difference, not just a point. And the other thing I will tell you is that this church is founded on who we are for, Jesus, not who we are against, and what we are for, the word of God, not what we are against. There will be times that correction and instruction will happen, but the Trinity Church must be known as a church who we're for and what we're for, not who we're against and what we're against. We're a pro-movement, not an anti-movement. And when it comes to testing the spirits to see whether they are from God, I'll tell you this, the Holy Spirit wants people to be about the scriptures, which he is inspired to be written, and Jesus, who is the hero and the point of the whole Bible. And you know that you're at least trending in the right direction when the word of God is open and Jesus is the focus. You know that you are not testing the spirits very well when the focus is being against someone or something else. The point of God is to be for the scriptures and Jesus. Amen? Okay, so that's who we're about, Jesus. That's what we're for, the word of God. So there's some big instruction on discerning, testing the spirits. We're gonna check our hearts. We're gonna love people. We're gonna give them the benefit of the doubt. We're gonna do real research. If we think there's a problem, this can be all the way down to your family, friends, coworkers, neighbors, people that are in your life. If you think, man, they're getting astray. They're walking away from Jesus in the Bible. Draw near to them, love them, listen to them, help them, pray with them, correct them. That's what John's doing. Don't just criticize them unnecessarily or prematurely. He's then gonna give us three ways to test. He's gonna give us the, the Bible test, the Jesus test, and the Holy Spirit test. So here's the Bible test. First John 4, 1, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now, the true prophets, that's the Old Testament. That's the word of God. The true prophets receive revelation from God and by the power of the Holy Spirit, they communicate on behalf of God, that which is true, that which is from the Holy Spirit. Um, that's why it says a few hundred times in the prophets in the Old Testament that the word of the Lord came to them or the spirit of the Lord was upon them. And it's this issue of, of the Holy Spirit coming upon a servant of God and then allowing them to communicate perfectly the word of God. So if we wanna know what a real true prophet is, you read the word of God. These are God's inspired spokespeople. Now a false prophet comes along and they produce a counterfeit. They say, thus saith the Lord, but the Lord didn't say. They say something that is in contradiction to that which God's true prophets have already said. For those of you who are here, particularly those of you who are younger, you're under 40, raise your hand. You need to pay careful attention to this. Even believing in false prophets is a declaration of war in our culture. Okay, I've got a book I'm working on. It's, it's gonna be out, I don't know when but it's almost done. I tried to find out the primary objections of the unchurched and the de-churched to Christianity. So we hired a firm to do a random digital dial survey. They called 913,000 people on the phone. They boiled it down to 1,000 people that would be the focus group. They were between the ages of 18 and 41, median age of 31, the unchurched and the de-churched. And I'm a nerd, so I heard sociologists and statisticians and want to figure out what are their primary objections to Christianity? And it was shocking, and it'll be the findings of this book that I'm working on. But here was the point. Men, women, single, married, heterosexual, homosexual, bisexual, 
all races, all income levels, all education levels, every single group had the exact same primary objection to Christianity. What do you think it was? Intolerance. Christians think that some things are false. That's a problem. Right? Now, as Christians, we would say, yeah, guilty, yeah, yeah. We believe this at the bank. We, you know, why don't we not believe this at the church? If you walked into the bank and said, I'd like my $27,000, they said, well, that's your perspective. Ours is that you don't bank here. You would say, we don't have different opinions. One of us is lying. Right? Because there's true and false. There's right and wrong. There's heaven and hell. There's God and Satan. There are angels and demons. There are different teams and categories. The primary objection to Christianity among the culture is you say things are right and things are wrong. That's intolerant. You're not saying that all things are equally good, right, and true. Christian, true or false? That's what we believe. That's what we believe. We believe that things are true and things are false. We believe that there are true prophets and false prophets. We believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by him, and anyone and anything else is false. We believe that God's word is true, and anything that contradicts God's word is not true. We believe there really is heaven, there really is hell, there really is God, there really is Satan, there really is right, there really is wrong, there really is truth, there really are lies. And we really believe that. And what this means is to become a Christian, really, it's an issue of repentance. You gotta have a whole change of mind, a change of ideology, a change of worldview. And you need to get these categories in the forefront of your horizon because let me say this, spirituality is not a good thing. Spirituality is not a good thing because we don't even believe that all the spirits are holy, clean, and good. We believe that there are demons at work in the world and to be spiritual could be participating in the demonic. I would never tell my kids, whoever knocks on the door, welcome them in and live with them. But spiritually, that's what we do. Any spirit or religion or teacher or ideology that knocks on the door, spirituality says, come in and live with me forever. That's unwise, that's dangerous, that's not discerning, that doesn't lead to life, that's spirituality. So the Bible test is, does it agree with the word of God? Does it agree with the word of God? Well, let me say a few things briefly. Here's what a false prophet is not. Number one, a false prophet is not somebody who said something in error or wrote something. How many of you have made a mistake? You made a mistake? Aren't you glad that somebody didn't write that down and make that your definitive lifelong statement on the issue? Right, and if, just so you know, if you wanna have a miserable marriage, do that, okay? How many of you, you say something, you're like, yeah, I didn't say that right, or that's, not, or that's what I said, that's not what I meant. You ever done that? Today, on the way here, we all did that, amen? I was talking to another significant evangelical leader some years ago, and he said that the ear is more forgiving than the eye, which is true. When we say something, you're like, well, I know what they meant. What a critic will do is they'll write that down and say, here's what they said, and then it gets parsed like a Bible verse. A false prophet is not someone who said something the wrong way, and that's not what they meant. Number two, a false prophet is not somebody who you disagree with on an open-handed issue. Again, all of this is foundational. We're gonna launch the Trinity Church. You need to know this. We believe in close-handed issues, open-handed issues. All issues are important, but not all issues are equally important. The closed-handed issues define and defend Christianity. 
This would be the Bible is God's perfect word. Uh, Jesus is God become man, that we are sinners by nature and choice, that he died on the cross for our sins. And on the third day, he rose again to save us from Satan's sin, death, hell, the wrath of God and our foolish selves. Closed hand. Open hand, all kinds of secondary things that are important, but they don't define or defend Christianity. They delineate different kinds of Christians. Homeschool, private school, public school. If we really wanted to see a fight, we could talk about that right now. But that's an open-handed issue. Should you speak in tongues, yada, 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 or not? We could argue about that. What kind of music should we have? Should we have music? Should we use instruments? We could fight over that. Should I be wearing a Jedi robe? Should I have walked in down the center aisle? Yada, yada, yada. Should we have screens? We could fight about that. What Bible translation should we use? Somebody could die over that. We could argue over all of these things for the rest of our life, amen? But these don't define Christianity. They distinguish different kinds of Christians. There are primary issues and secondary issues. If you are a part of this church and you wanna be in leadership, you need to agree with the primary issues and you need to agree that we're gonna love each other and talk it through and work it out. And just like every family, find a way to get along on the secondary issues. A false teacher, a false prophet is not somebody you disagree with on a secondary issue. It's someone you disagree with on a a primary issue, a primary issue. Okay, another one, a false prophet is not a person who's in the process of learning or changing. Somebody comes from bad teaching and they're figuring it out. I was talking to a pastor friend of mine not long ago. He grew up in a cult. He loves Jesus. And there was years of a transition process where he was unlearning a lot of the false things that he was taught. He was in process. The Holy Spirit was in his heart. The word of God was in his hands. The change of God was in his life. He was coming along. This is where God's been patient with us and we'd be patient with others. And that's not a false prophet. Um, here's what a false prophet is. Number one, intentional. This is not a mistake. They know what they're saying and doing and they're very intentional about it. Number two, it is on, an, on a closed handed issue. And number three, they are devoted to compelling others to abandon biblical truth and to adopt their ideology. This is a recruitment. This is a leading astray. This is a taking people out of God's flock and bringing them into some other religion, some other cult, some other ideology or spirituality. That's what it is. The heart is malicious and intentional. The issue is very important and the effort is recruiting. That's what he's talking about, right? Many false prophets have gone out into the world. What he's saying is this, that the world is filled with a lot of false teaching. More books have been written about Jesus than anyone who's lived in the history of the world. And not all those books tell the truth. Not all those books agree with this book. That's what he's saying. That we can't just assume that even if someone claims Jesus or says a Bible verse, that it is necessarily correct. And I love them and they're our neighbors and we want good for them. But even the Mormons, it's, it's, it's different. They have their own prophet and it's not a prophet of God. They have their own views of God and it's not the same as the Christian view of God. Same with the Jehovah's Witnesses, same with other groups that have emanated and abandoned and departed from faithful Christianity. Mark, you saying they're bad people? I'm saying they, they can be very nice, well-intended, loving, great neighbors that we care deeply for and disagree with because they follow a prophet who's not God's prophet and that's a false prophet. That's the kind of thing that he's talking about. Number two, the Jesus test. By this, you know the Spirit of God, right? How do we know Jesus? We know Jesus by the person, the presence, the power of the Holy Spirit. God the Father 
rules and reigns. Jesus comes down as the God-man to live without sin, to die for our sin, to rise as our Savior. The Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, inspires the Scriptures to be written, and He illuminates our understanding so that we know who Jesus is and what He's done, and Jesus reconciles us to the Father. By this, you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God. Jesus is God, become a man. Jesus is the God-man. This is not that a man became God. That's what Mormonism teaches. We don't believe that. We don't believe that a man became God, but that God became a man. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. If you want to say, well, is this real or counterfeit? If you want to just get to the point, get to Jesus. Tell me what you think about Jesus. Who's Jesus? Everything in the Bible, just so you know, it ultimately boils down to Jesus. The center of the whole scriptures is the person of Jesus Christ. There's lots of other things in the Bible, all glorious and good, but the big idea, the main thing, the central thing, the essential thing is Jesus. If you wanna know whether it's true or false, religion, spirituality, ideology, prophecy, just figure out what they believe about Jesus. They say he's eternally God, maker of heaven and earth, second member of the Trinity, entered into human history as the son of God, the anointed one, the Christ, that he was conceived of the Virgin Mary, that he lived without any sin, that he died on the cross in our place for our sins, that he rose conquering Satan, sin, death, hell, the wrath of God. That's my Jesus. He ascended into heaven. Today he's alive and well. He's ruling and reigning over the living and the dead, over the angels and the demons, over the believers and the unbelievers. He sees all. He knows all. He judges all. He rules over all. And he's coming again to judge the living and the dead and he's bringing a kingdom that'll never end. That's what we believe. That's really what we believe. That's what we'll live for. That's what we'll die for. And on our deathbed, that's who our faith is in. And so what he's saying is, and, and in you, how many of you right now, you felt that you're like, that's what I believe. That's the spirit of God in you. That's the Holy Spirit saying, that's, that's Jesus. That's, that's who we're talking about. That's who we're trusting in. That's who the book's about. It's all about Jesus. That's why there's a little enthusiasm when you start talking about Jesus. There's a little hope when you start talking about Jesus. There's a little joy when you start talking about Jesus because then the Holy Spirit is really excited to sort of hit the gas and let the thing move down the road, amen? That's what we believe. This is the spirit, and he says, um, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. What do you think about Jesus? Well, I don't know. I think he's a good man, not the God man. I'm not sure he died for my sin. I don't know if everything he said is true. I see some contradictions in the book. Okay, that, that is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now in the world already. The spirit of the Antichrist means it's against Christ. It's in the place of Christ. It's in opposition and resistance to Christ. He wants to take Jesus out of the center and put him on the sidelines. The center of the Bible is Jesus. The center of human history is Jesus. The center of your life should be Jesus. Antichrist is where anyone or anything seeks to displace Jesus from his rightful place and come in place of him. So it's the Jesus test. How is this a true teacher, a false teacher? True prophet, false prophet. True religion, false religion. Let's talk about Jesus. 
Let's figure out what they believe about Jesus. But you need to know this, particularly if you non-Christians and new Christians. Not everybody who's using the name Jesus is talking about the real Jesus. Jesus gets hijacked and used and abused for marketing purposes by all kinds of false teachers and false leaders. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11, he says that, that there are counterfeit Christs and you need to know who the real Jesus is. That's what he's talking about. Do you know the real Jesus? Do you know the real Jesus? If you don't, you need to come to know the real Jesus today. Stop following a false religion. Start following a living savior. Stop following false teaching. Start walking in the truth. It all really ultimately comes down to the Bible and Jesus. The Bible and Jesus. And the way we know about Jesus and the way we got the Bible is the third test, the Holy Spirit. Can I just say this too? At the Trinity Church, we love the Holy Spirit. We also love Jesus and we love God the Father. We love all three members of the Trinity. And you're gonna learn here about God the Holy Spirit. Little children. How many of you have kids? Raise your hands. Parents, got little kids? True or false? Are they a little naive? Yeah, you can convince them on some crazy stuff, okay? Are they a little gullible? Yeah. Are they a little vulnerable? Yeah. So what do you do with the kids who are a little gullible and vulnerable? You instruct them and you protect them, amen? Hey kids, let me explain this to you and let me keep you from harm's way. One of the ways that Satan gets us into real trouble is when we think that we're something other than the child of God. I've grown up, I've matured, I know more now, I've sort of arrived. No, humility says, well, in God's eyes, he's a father, I'm his kid, I'm still like a little kid and I, I could believe something crazy or I could get into harm's way. I really need to just be humble and stick close to my dad and listen to him make sure that I don't, I don't go off on my own. I get myself in trouble. Little children, you are from God. If you're a Christian, you are from God. God loves you. He's put his life in you. He cares for you. You have overcome them, this whole cultural pressure. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Do you know that the Holy Spirit is more powerful than all demons combined? That every demonic force that is at work in the world, every lying, deceiving spirit at work in the world, including through political and religious leaders, is not as powerful combined as the Holy Spirit. There, there is a power in you if you are a believer. It's the same power of God that empowered the life of Jesus. How did he say no to sin? By the power of the Holy Spirit. How did he cast out demons? By the power of the Holy Spirit. How did he proclaim the truth? By the power of the Holy Spirit. How did he walk in victory? By the power of the Holy Spirit. And when he rose from death and he ascended into heaven and he sent the Holy Spirit to his people, that means that the life of Jesus lives in you. And the same power that empowered the life of Jesus is in you. That means you can live a life of holiness. You can live a life of truthfulness. You can live a life of godliness by the same power that Jesus did. So whatever fear you've got in what this world brings you, the confidence is who lives in you. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. They are from the world. The world here is the, the culture that is opposed to God. The culture that is resistant to God. The culture that is rejecting of God. And just so you know, that's the majority. And now you live in a day of great intense cultural pressure. 
Those of you who are younger and you worry about your social media and your appearances and your likes and your clicks and your friends and your positioning in this world, you may need to set that ambition on fire if you want to walk with God in truth. There will be great opposition, cultural pressure, public shaming to get you to deny basic truths of God's word. You need to accept that, that you are swimming upstream against a stiff current, that you are a minority group, that you are outcasts and weirdos and freaks. You just need to accept and know that that the whole world is against you. If you're a single guy with a Bible and a job, you're an outlier. If you're a single woman who's a virgin waiting for marriage, you are a freak, a great freak, but a freak in the eyes of this world. If you are a man who is faithful to his wife and grows old with her, you are a punk rocker, you are. It used to be that punk rock was a nefarious tattoo, uh, some sort of piercing, and uh, Mohawk, they are now the majority. We are the minority. If you're a grandma who ties, reads the Bible in the morning and, and memorizes verses in the King James, you are a complete rebel. You are an absolute cultural rebel. That's who you are, okay? So I want us to take this moniker of, of rebel, freak, outlier, outsider, outlaw, crazy punk rocker. Everything has been tried and done. Everyone is saying and doing things they ought not say and do. And if you get up, you say, Jesus, I love you. Let me read the word and pray and give 10% and go find some people to tell the truth to and to love on and maybe to get married as a heterosexual and to stay married and to grow old together and raise kids who go onto the mission field. You are officially weird. You're very weird. Okay, so just embrace that. You're weird, you're a freak, you're an outlier, you're an outlaw, you're a punk rocker. And the world will say, you shouldn't be like that. I know what happens in the end. It's all gonna be on fire and it doesn't end well for those who don't know God, okay? Your eternity matters to me and what you do between now and then also matters, okay? Boy, I... You are a decaf crowd. We got to trade this core for some Pentecostals. Okay. Um, I don't even have a band. I got nothing to work. I got to pick up the whole room with myself. Okay. Okay. They speak from the world and the world listens to them. This whole circular cul-de-sac of communication. We don't believe in the Bible. We don't believe in men and women. We don't believe in heaven and hell. We don't believe in Jesus. We don't believe. We don't. That's, that's their conversation. And the world listens to them like, well, that sounds right to us because of the demonic force at work in the world. Not us, we freaks. Reading this old book, obeying these old laws, trying to worship this eternal God. We are from, God, I'll tell you this, this isn't your home. This isn't your home. You're not from here. I know we're in Phoenix and nobody's from here, but I'm talking earth. Earth, nobody's from here. You're not from here. Right, you're not from here. You're born from above. You're, you're heading to God's eternal kingdom. That's your home. If you're a Christian, this is as close to hell as you'll ever get. Okay? If you're a non-Christian, this is as close to heaven as you'll ever get. Okay? The world is not our home. We are from God. We don't belong here. We don't think like this. We don't act like this. This isn't our home. This is not how we behave. This is not how we believe. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. 
right? You open the Bible, somebody says, all right, that makes sense. Well, then they have the spirit of God in them. Oh, Jesus, yeah, I wanna learn more about him. Tell me what I don't know. The spirit of God is in them. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. Hey, don't be surprised when non-Christians disagree with you. They're non-Christians, okay? I don't know why they don't agree because they're non. They're non-Christians. I'm gonna let you know a little secret. Christians and non-Christians, they believe different things. They do. So don't take it personally when what you believe is mocked and ridiculed and ostracized and marginalized. We worship a guy who got murdered. He sent out a bunch of other guys who got murdered. And we wonder why when we pull into our cul-de-sac, they don't have a ticker tape parade for us. Because this is in our home. We don't think like non-Christians. We don't act like non-Christians. And when we do, we're in sin and we need to repent. Because the world in its wisdom does not know God. That God knows us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Well, dear friends, hear what I would ask. What do you think about the Bible? Do you believe that God wrote a book, that it's the only perfect thing on the earth, that it is unchanging and it's an anchor in an ever-changing world, that what we don't want, what is new and faddish and trendy, we want that which is eternal. This is not an old book, this is an eternal book, and an eternal book is timeless, so an eternal book is always timely. Enough of fads and trends. What about truth and God? Number two, what do you think about Jesus? Do you love, know, serve, worship, belong to, believe in, hope for the real Jesus of the Bible? And number three, is any of this making sense? If so, that's the Holy Spirit at work in you. Because the Holy Spirit empowered the life of Jesus and inspired the writing of scripture and wants you and I to be filled with that same joy and life where Jesus is the one we love and the scripture is the authority we follow. I love you, it's fun to teach. I only get to do it once, so I gotta drop all my energy in one sermon, okay? Um, Lots to be praying for, let me pray. Father God, thank you for an opportunity to teach today. But Lord, your word is good news, it's true but not like a phone book. It's good. It's good to hear that this crazy world is crazy. It's good to hear that these self-destructive patterns of belief and behavior are destructive. It's good to hear that not everything is true and not everyone is right and not everywhere is safe because in our hearts and in our guts and in our minds, we sense it, we feel it, we know it. Lord God, I pray for the planting of this church that, that we would be a discerning people not critics, but Christians, not seeking to find where there is fault, flaw, and error just in others, but starting with ourselves. Please give us the humility to receive your word gladly. Please let us see ourselves as your beloved kids who need protection and instruction. Holy Spirit, please fill us. Please fill us right now with the person, the presence, the power of Jesus so that we might love him more fully, that we might serve him more devotedly, that we might follow him more closely, that we might proclaim him more boldly. And we thank you for the scriptures and that we could test everything by your word. Help all of my friends to meet you this week in the scriptures as they read in Jesus' name, amen.